Alright ladies and gentlemen, if you checked out the new Twitter fleets, you've seen this is coming today. Mr. Nick Kiprios, the author of Undrafted. You've seen him all over across every media landscape possible. And now he's sitting down with Offside. Nick, how's the day treating you? Good, James. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been a bit of a... Uh, a uh, race towards, I think, Christmas sales with the book, and they've got me, Simon Schuster has been a ter- uh, terrific publisher, so they've got me on a bit of a, a circuit to tell the story, and uh, uh, it's been fun. You know, I've been in professional hockey for 12 years and broadcasting for 21. I've never been through a media hit like I have the last <laughs> two and a half weeks but happy to be uh on your show and uh offside hockey talk well i appreciate that nick and i gotta ask right off the hop i mean you hear a lot of stories different people we've had through the years come on this show uh steve seftel mike Camito, steve dangle you name it and they've all talked about their their differences with the book and difficulties and things they would do differently for you what made you one want to write a book and two were there any of those difficulties that you faced as well well, yes, I think so. I think there's a common thread there for sure. As far as the book is concerned, once I left uh, Sportsnet, uh, uh, P- Perry Lefko approached me right away and, and quite aggressively. And although, you know, I've talked to other people over, you know, a, a casual setting, a uh, couple of beers, maybe one too many, and the thought of, the thought of writing a book was always kind of like a, a side joke and, and the stories you could tell and, you know, how many couldn't you tell? And, you know, it just kind of died on the vine. And then Perry Lefko said, no, you know, that now that you've left Sportsnet, you've got two great stories to tell, one in the hockey side, including winning a Stanley Cup in, in you know, New York City. And the other one, of course, is this 21-year broadcasting career that – uh kind of shaped you know how people watch their sports over 20 years in Canada so the more I thought about it the more I sat with my wife my family and, and discussed the thought of writing a book the more it, it, it appealed and then um, you know Simon and Schuster backed it up 100 percent they're one of the best publishers I think in the world and uh, once I had that going it just made it made sense James well, in writing the book, obviously, you have to pick and choose what you say. And sometimes, you know, no one ever wants to burn a bridge. But was there ever a story that you got to in your mind for the book and just said, you know what, I want to put this in, but I better check with somebody to make sure that I don't burn down that bridge? Well, the, the beauty of writing a book from start to finish, and it's so much work. And for me, it was a full year. So, you know, that's a commitment of hours a week uh consistently and believe it or not even 12 months is a race to a deadline (laughs) because we were (laughs) we were finding pictures and then you know proofreading it and fact checking and then to your point getting getting to a, a scenario james where you like the story you don't like the story okay what what is it what is the story really trying to do? Is it a message that you're saying through your eyes or is it a story that might uh, embarrass someone else? And then you go to a domino effect. How, not only does it, how does it affect the person that I'm speaking of, 
perhaps there's a wife, a child. How would they feel hearing about the story if they haven't already heard about it themselves? So you wake up some days and you go, yeah, I love that story. It's funny, but it's kind of embarrassing for someone else. And then, you know, a week later you go and you revisit it with Perry and, and Simon Schuster and you're like, no, let's take it out. You know, there's, it doesn't really serve much of a purpose other than having a cheap laugh, you know, or whatever. So you go through all these roller coaster uh, ups and downs over the course of a, a year with the book, but ultimately you have to make decisions and, and that's where we are with uh, Undrafted today. Now, a lot of people say when they do books, there's a lot of things that get left on the cutting room floor and, you know, you wish that you could put it in, but there wasn't enough room or this or that. Is there a chance we get a second Undrafted or another title <laughs> book like that just to pick up the pieces? I mean, there's there's plenty of runway left for Nick Kiprios, and I mean, obviously launching Little Budico this year and all the different things that have gone into it. I mean, there's lots of runway left. I mean, you could pick up some of those scraps and obviously make new ones and make another whole other run at it, right? So... Well, that's a good point. Uh, no question that, uh, you know, you, you start reading and, and looking at your book as a final uh, product and, and you're happy with it, but you're, you, there's all, you're always going to second guess yourself. And believe it or not, there's still things that I didn't think about in the last 12 months that still come upon me and go, oh man, that, that would have been a good one in the book. We should have we should have mentioned that one or we should have mentioned this one, but maybe you're right. Maybe there's uh, something down the road for a second version. And, you know, one of the, one of the beauties, uh, James, of getting out a little early from a, from a corporate television broadcasting company like Sportsnet is feeling like I still have a lot on the plate to offer. And uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, a beverage company that my wife and I had started with uh, family friends called Little Buddha Cocktail Company. I mean, honest to God, in the last 12 months of this company, you know, there, there might be even um, a, a, a heavy chapter on how to prove yourself outside of the game of hockey, you know, because <laughs> I've been playing it since I was seven. I've been speaking of it ever since. And now I'm in this whole new world that has nothing to do with power plays or uh, left wing locks or specialty teams. And I'm like, sometimes I'm a fish out of water, but I wanted to prove to myself that I could do something else besides uh, something around hockey. And and Little Buddha Cocktail Company was born because of it, because I, I needed to prove to myself I can, I can be a part of something great uh, that had nothing to do with skates and sticks and pucks. Well, speaking of Little Buco, I mean, out here for the East Coast, we're waiting for it to get here. Cannot wait. So we're waiting for that taste. Obviously, we watched the, uh, yes. the Seltzer King videos and stuff like that and how good it apparently tastes. So we can't wait to get it out East, obviously. Yeah. Can't really travel up to Ontario yet, but if we get the opportunity, we definitely will. But it looks great. The product in the can looks awesome. So cannot wait to get out here out of East. And there's a few spots I know that would definitely love it and love to serve it too. Yeah, you know... Um... I, I really buy in, and if if you know if you if you follow the common thread in Undrafted, uh, Little Buddha Cocktail Company's kind of going through the the same things. And you know, I often say, wouldn't it be great if uh, if we were all Connor McDavid's and Sidney Crosby's, where you're just the best 
every year you're on any team from the time you're seven until the day you retire. Uh, but that's not really the way it works for all the rest of us. So, uh, little Buddha, same thing. You gotta, you gotta walk before you run. We wanted to start it here in Ontario. LCBOs, one of the biggest buyers in the world, let alone in, in Canada uh, or North America. And if we could have success in the LCBO, then we feel like, you know, now we've got a product that we can truly share. So we were able to have great success in five months uh, here in the LCBO. We sold over 20,000 cases in a very short period of time. And now we are in a position, I think, to, to go national. So I really hope, James, this time uh, next year, uh, we're in every province. And not only do we have the, the pineapple, rosemary, uh, organic uh, little Buddha, but we're going to have a second flavor peach tea out. And, and we hope it's in your in your area, in your community, in your province, and, and right across every province in Canada this time next year. Well, that's something a lot of people want to hear. I know when uh, Chris did those videos in the summertime, everybody's asking where you can get it, especially across Canada. Yeah. So to hear that, it's great. I mean, obviously, the response and the wanting to know about it was huge. So you're in the right ballpark. Obviously, uh, you say fish out of water. I say you're uh, a big fish in a small pond now, and you're going to start swimming <laughs> into the oceans, buddy, because it's coming that way, and I, I can feel it. And I mean, I got to ask the question, I mean, Little Boudicca, obviously you say is a challenge that you wanted to face for yourself. And then writing a book, obviously, is a completely different challenge. So those two things in the same calendar year, what would you say was more of a draw on the brain? Was it the, the drink or was it the book? Well, the, the, the drink, to be quite honest with you, because uh, I'm, I'm out of my comfort zone. Uh, the book is was at least you know besides time consuming um, it's really like me and you sitting over a beer and and going over stories and that was always quite easy and, and really fun to share with you know either New York Ranger fans talking about Stanley Cup parties and going to Yankee Stadium or taking it out to the Hamptons to the MTV Beach House in the <laughs> 90s like you know, telling those stories and, and watching people react it was a lot of fun. Um, what wasn't as much fun was learning how to buy aluminum cans and <laughs> <laughs> and, and and meeting, uh, you know, in a flavor house and trying to, you know, uh, come up with the right ingredients for the, uh, the, the perfect taste that matches you know, uh, the aroma of pineapples, grilled pineapples to be exact, and not knowing whether or not you're doing it right or, or not. And, you know, there's, you know, there's always, you know, especially at age 50, when once you, you go over 50, you like those old pair of shoes that are really comfortable. <laughs> you know, putting, the, putting the new ones on that uh, can cause a few blisters isn't that appealing, but it, it was. It, it made me. It made me feel alive. I can tell you that. You know, starting a new company and and taking James. This is what it's really all about. Is is once the game of hockey gives you this blueprint of of how to work together and you know uh, pulling on the same rope. You know, to get to that place of of either winning hockey games or a championship. Uh, all those life lessons that the game 
pulled, uh, I, I was able to pull out. I tried to instill, you know, informing this company with my wife and our business partners, you know, um, uh, the tailors. And we were able to do that at least for the 14, you know, 16 months that we've been at it. And, and now we want it to grow. And, and the common thread is, you know, it's a team environment. If it worked in hockey, it can work in building a company as well. No, definitely. Well, like I said, I mean, you guys are obviously hitting the right notes. There's a lot of chatter about it. Everybody wants it where it's not. So that's the best first steps. I mean, you get into different places now, and obviously it's going to yeah. grow from there. And I can't wait to see that, obviously, because obviously, like I said, I supported you when we before we jumped on, watching everything from the beginning. So to see everything you do, it's, it's wicked to sit down and talk with you is even better. And I got to ask the question for you. You talked about the Rangers and the stories there. There's one thing I saw yesterday you posted about the Marc Messier comment about winning the game and the guarantee and all of that. Do you draw on that a lot? And when he did say that, how did the room react and how did you guys feel about that yourselves? And is it something you carry forward now? Like, hey, you can guarantee things on the biggest stage. You just have to deliver. And you guys delivered on the biggest stage. Yeah, everything, you know, it was so great, uh, being a part of his world for a short period of time. And, you know, I, I've always kind of take, taken great pride in, in trying to act like a sponge and just absorbing anything that's good and positive uh, in my life. And, I, you know, if, you know, from my earliest memories of being around my dad, you know, my parents and instilling morals and values to being surrounded by, you know, great character people in the game of hockey. I always try to pull a little bit out of everybody that I loved and respect and try to instill it in my everyday, um, you know, uh, world. So uh, Mark was one of those guys where if you were around him and you watched him operate and you watched the way he treated people and you watched him... um, you know, there's always a method to his madness. And I, in, in the book, I particularly talk about a, a, a lunch that we had together where I asked him why he doesn't wear any of his Stanley Cup rings, James. And he said, you know, where's yours? I said, Mark, I don't have one. And he goes, okay, so when you see me wear my next Stanley Cup ring, it'll be the same one you're wearing. And, you know just makes you feel like you've been shot out of a cannon that this guy, you know, it's not about resting on his uh, laurels of, of five Stanley cups. It's about the next one. And, you know, whether or not now we, we go, you know, full circle to that championship uh, run in the conference final with his guarantee and everything was about not the attention that the guarantee would draw on Marc Messier but the uh, the feeling that it would give all the rest of us in hearing how confident he was and uh, again there's you know I can't state it enough there's a method to everything he does and the way he treats people for the common denominator of bringing people together for one common goal and that was to end a 54 year drought you know, on the biggest stage in the world, New York City. And uh, it was fantastic to be a small part of that. 
and it was even more fantastic to make it an integral part of my book Undrafted. No, definitely. Well, I mean, you look at what Mark Messier has done to the game, and, and you're talking about being a sponge and taking things, and you can see that you have taken those things with you, and, you know, the way you treat people and deal with people and the team mentality. You were just talking about it with Little Boudico, and now you're talking about it, you know, with the Rangers and the team that you guys had there. Um, for you, I mean, you were a team at Sportsnet. You left Sportsnet or however that went down, and you got out on your own, and now you got your own show again, and you see the same people coming back around, you know, with Doug McLean, and you're doing your own thing. And I'm wondering again, you know, now you don't have the corporate overfeel. Does it feel different doing the show that you're doing now? You know, now that you've had all the experience, obviously, being on mainstream media with Sportsnet and obviously being a player and everything like that, now you can do it on your own, kind of your own terms. Does that feel different? Without a doubt, James, it really does. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful of my 21 years at Sportsnet and what it was able to do. Uh, it was a very tough decision, uh, you know, and again, you get to a certain age and you've got to start making some really tough decisions. And, you know, do I stay with the old comfortable pair of shoes or do I uh, go out there and, and try to find ways uh, to get to a, a, a the same destination is always, you know, success ultimately. It yep. could look different for everybody, but, you know, I decided to get out of my comfort zone, you know, after 21 years and, and try all these different things. And I wanted to do it while I still had a ton of energy. Could I have stayed in the, uh, uh, the, the, the corporate world of, of how we know conventional TV and radio for the next 10 or 15 years? Yes. I, I just, I didn't envision myself because at, at times it did, it did feel like I was just going through the motions a little bit. And then you factor in that the industry has changed. Uh, you know, it's changed for Sportsnet. It's changed for TSN. It's certainly changed for CBC's version of Hockey Night in Canada. Yep. And it was just a matter of if I was going to be a part of that and what it was going to look like. And I got myself in a very good place a very good salary, long-term contract, and it had its place. But if I was to uh, continue in this corporate world of conventional TV and, and radio, uh, it, it wouldn't have been that secure for me moving forward. And I, I didn't want to live that way. I didn't want to live from contract to contract, and I didn't want to really take my salary back and kind of you know reset it because the industry is getting reset. So I just felt it was a good time to get out. And to answer your question, you know, I, I didn't want to go through the day-to-day, -day, um, you know, uh, work environment that I had in the past. You know, I got an interview with Bob McKenzie, and he's, you know, semi-retired. He's still going to do stuff. But we were kind of laughing over the last 20 years on how many times we went to a Board of Governor meeting and we sat out in the off uh, in the hallways for like four, six, eight hours waiting to get information so we can go and you know uh, speak of it for two minutes on Sportsnet News. Yeah. And I just you know I didn't envision myself being fifty-five and sixty years of age and and sitting in hallways and waiting for people and begging for information and. You know, at times it can look glamorous when you watch us on TV, but behind the scenes, it's 
anything but glamorous, clamoring for news and begging for information. And that's just not the way I saw myself, you know, in my 50s and 60s. So to be able to still be in the environment of broadcasting, but to do it from my own home, to have built a studio set um, and to, you know, pick the doses of how much you, you want to uh, do interviews or talk to people and how you want to talk to them and uh, in what capacity uh, and not being told by a producer or, you know, a number of bosses is a fantastic feeling. You know, in the old days to, 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 to broadcast, you needed a million dollar studio. You needed a corporate, uh, you know, setup. You needed, you know, countless camera people. You needed, uh, you know, a producer, a director. Now you just flip, flip, flip a switch in your basement. You can go and reach millions of people depending on, uh, you know, how many people subscribe. But the, the reach is way bigger out of my basement. The potential for the reach is way bigger than, than what Sportsnet or TSN can do, you know, uh, through cable. And that's just a fantastic feeling to be, you know, on the ground floor of something that is going to continue to evolve. Well, it's the new way people consume everything, right? I mean, you look at YouTube, and I mean, you can use Dangle as a great example. I mean, obviously... He went and did his thing, you know, via YouTube, and now he's built the podcast and all that stuff for Joe Rogan, whoever you want to tap. But it's a market where you can say what you want, think what you want, and like you said, there's nobody, you know, over top of you saying, hey, you can't say this, or hey, you can't do that, or you can't interview this person because they're affiliated with such and such. You can talk and say and do whatever you want and bring up any topics and go down any rabbit hole with any person you have on, and people are going to hang on to it because people want to listen to it. People love that stuff. But like you said, with that two minutes you get on Sportsnet or whatever for that info, you don't get to expose that candid conversation where you got that info or how you got to talk to the person or whatever it is, you know. It's just, hey, we got to get this in. It's got to be the info and it's got to be done. And, you know, listen to what you just said about the glamorous part. I want to ask, though, I mean, you got some pretty cool spots. One of my favorite ones with you, and it sticks out in my mind, was watching you and Bob McKenzie during the Olympic run, you know, talking on the desk together. How did that feel? Obviously, it was like two worlds colliding, you know, Sportsnet, TSN, and you, you said, you know, you and Bob talk, but on TV for everybody, it was like, oh my God, two rivals together. They're, they're, you know, they're working together. It looks so awesome. You know, how was it for you guys? Was it just like, hey, we already do this, but you don't know about it? Or was it just as <laughs> surreal for everybody else? Because we all believe that there's these this rivalry, right? Everybody talks about the uh, the unspoken rivalry between Sportsnet and TSN. And I think that's more on a corporate thing with people in suits than the actual guys on the broadcast. But we all want to know, you know, that was pretty cool for us to see you two on there and talking about Team Canada and the Olympics and so forth. But it was, it was a great thing. And how was it for you guys? I got to know. Uh, awkward still and you know we had a history um you know prior to sportsnet and tsn there was a history because bob mckenzie had worked at the toronto star in the hockey news i was a professional hockey player i mean it's not like we didn't know about each other or we didn't speak to each other so we knew of each other but you're right uh where it really came to the surface was this competitive nature between tsn and Sportsnet. and this is I, I loved writing about all of this in my book james and just in terms of 
how we built up this rivalry. And of course, you know, TSN had their 15 year head start over Sportsnet. People were telling us at Sportsnet we weren't going to last two or three years. There's no room for a second sports station. Uh, TSN owned the market. And it was just nothing there for us to really grasp any momentum or confidence. It had to come within a, within ourselves to try to prove everybody wrong. And again, common thread in my book, right? Against, you know, <laughs> against the odds. And the odds of us building a sports network that could compete against TSN was, was not there. So, you know, to, to, to build something for 10 years and then try to tell everybody we can compete against them and at times be better than them was a very difficult thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you've worked for 10 years hating these guys and competing against them and fighting for stories. And now in 2010, you know, they tell us we're going to work together. And it was really, <laughs> really strange. But, you know, um, at that point, I think we had earned enough respect. I think I had earned enough respect to go sit with James Duffy and Darren Pang and Bob McKenzie to say, yeah, he belongs here. He's a good representation of Sportsnet to, to be covering the most important event, uh, sports event in you know, uh, modern history in Canada, and that's the Vancouver Games. So I, at that point, had earned my right to be there. And that wasn't the case in 1998 when I was hired. And so many people said, why him? You know, fourth line slug, you know, in and out of the lineup. You know, not an all-star, not a Hall of Famer. Why is he getting a, a seat at Sportsnet? But after 10 years, I, I earned that right to be there. But it was a fantastic uh, environment. And yeah, for two and a half, three weeks, we, we put our competitive juices away uh, to a certain point because, you know, behind the scenes, I talk about in the book too, it's like, okay, who's... Who's getting more? And this wasn't just me. This was all the Sportsnet broadcasters that were, were brought to Vancouver. It was like, what? who's getting what event? Who's getting more airtime? Preferential treatment to TSN over us? All that stuff was noted on a daily basis. And some people would bitch and whine about it behind <laughs> the scenes. But for the most part, James, I think we pulled it off. And to leave, you know, with a, with a game-winning goal – the golden goal, as Chris Cuthbert called it, uh, was absolutely fabulous to be a part of it. I still, you know, speak of being on the highest rated TV show in Canadian history. Uh, and that was that game. I don't know what it peaked at, 27, 28 million people. Good luck trying to break that record right now. <laughs> no, well, it's not going to happen unless, you know, two Canadian teams maybe go to the final and, they're slugging it out for the cup. That might be the only way that happens, but we'll touch on that in a minute. Yes. The, the other thing I want to ask you about, obviously, we all, growing up here in Canada, watched Hockey Night in Canada. We touched on it a moment ago, you know, and watched the desk and watched the transition of different things that go through the intermissions and whatever, but it was the, the Saturday night, holy grail, you watch Hockey Night in Canada. What was it like for Nick Kiprios to get on that show, be a part of it, and bring it up to another level. Because you talked about being, you know, in 98, being a fourth-line slug getting on TV and people saying that. By the time you were done with sports, and I'll say this, and a lot of people will agree with me, 
you know, we would say you're a first liner when it comes to being in the media and being on TV and being on the air. So not only did you earn it, you earned that superstar status within media in my eyes. And I, a lot of people I've talked to, especially ones that I said, hey, I'm having the Kiprios on. Everybody's eyes lights up. So you brought a whole different dynamic, but especially to Hockey Night in Canada. Um, I'm wondering for you, what was it like? the first time walking on that stage, and then being a part of it all the time because that is Canada's go-to on a Saturday night. Well, first of all, thank you very much for that amazing uh, compliment. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it, it always feels great to feel like people have appreciated your efforts. And, you know, the one thing I will say that, and I don't, I, I, I mean, I don't mean to, you know, put myself down by, by saying that, but... I merely, you know, speak of the perception that was out there, you know, in terms of how probably people felt about my uh, initial hiring. Um, but, you know, as I told, you know, many people um, who at times would think that the obvious choice for analyzing games would go to a superstar or a, a frontline player is that the ones that are most perceptive around the game and who have the uh, the social IQ to pick up, you know, all the s- smaller details are often the, the third and fourth row uh, line guys or the goalie who sit in, in their crease and watch everything, you know, um, from their uh, viewpoint. So I was able to do that. I knew that I was a very perceptive person is like like we said earlier when you're a sponge you take in a little bit more and perhaps that was my saving grace is I paid attention for 12 years around pro hockey and I wanted to bring it to the table for for people to watch and listen to say wow that guy that guy picked up a lot over his career so I think that's what I was able to do and then to take it to hockey night in Canada to a show that you know, included my my most vivid memories, my my earliest vivid memories of growing up with my dad watching on a black and white television. Um, you know, in in the mid seventies um, was surreal. I I was really, you know, excited and nervous, and I, I got flooded with so many emotions on that first Saturday night um, to be a part of something so historic i mean when you talk about uh iconic canadian brands and you know we can talk about hudson bay and we can talk about now tim hortons <laughs> yep and of course we're going to talk about hockey night in canada so not sure where the brand's going i i know sportsnet has it for six more years um but we'll you know, I hope it never dies. I hope wherever, you know, this new digital world is taking us, somehow, some way, James, there's going to be a spot that remains open to our iconic Canadian brand called Hockey Night in Canada. I really, I really do hope it does stay. And I mean, I hope it stays beyond the six years. And you look at what else they've done too, you know, Hockey Night in Punjabi, right? You know, you have that broadcast as well, bringing in a whole different audience in a different way to experience the game and the energy they bring to the broadcast too. So there's lots of different things they're doing. So I hope it only grows and gets better, you know, as things expand into the digital media market. And yeah. maybe you won't watch it on TV, which is fine. I mean, I don't know about you, but I watch 
stuff on every different device in the house. So it don't matter whether I'm listening to it, streaming it on the phone, the iPad. It's 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 consumable. And a lot of people nowadays, they want to take something to listen with them after it happens. So, you I mean, that's yeah. why everybody likes podcasts. And that's why everybody likes their favorite radio show. They can go click it and put it on. Like, you know, when uh, for us out here in the East, we only got for, I think, a year and a half, Hockey Central at noon. So for me being a Leaf fan and a hockey fan, every single day when I got off work, I would annoy the hell of the life. I'd have to listen to both shows or download and take them with me wherever I went because I didn't get to listen when everybody else got to listen to them. And she'd be like, well, you have all day at work. Why aren't you listening on the radio? I said, we don't get it out here. They put on local yeah. radio now. We don't get to listen to that stuff. So it was. it's always good to be able to take things to a different level. And you guys were on you know, on primetime, on TV. You get to take those shows with you. So maybe you might be able to do that with Hockey Night in Canada and take the broadcast elements like the well, you know, opening and stuff and take it with you. I will say this, that, you know, we took a lot of heat early um, when we took over from the CBC Hockey Night in Canada. And, of course, uh, you know, it'll go down in history that, you know, Sportsnet changed Ron McLean for George Strombolopoulos. And, you know, it, we know where that is in its place in history. And there's some people that liked it, a lot of people that hated it. And that's just life. It's it's a moving target, you know. And you know now I look at Hockey Central at noon at, at Sportsnet, and you know uh, Jeff Merrick's there, uh, Anthony Stewart, um, you know uh, 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 Berkey at times. Justin Bourne, yeah, uh, Bourne's there as well. And you know again, some people don't like it, and they compare it to us. You know, myself, Doug McLean, and. And and and, uh, Darren and Darren Millard. Now it's still the same show. It's still the same brand, but it, you know nothing ever stays forever, and it's a moving target. And you know it, it's just it's, it's forever going to always be a, a, a changing environment. But the brand stays there. Hockey Central at noon stays there. Hockey Night in Canada stays there. Who knows what hot? Who who knows who's going to be on Hockey Night in Canada in eight or ten years? Hopefully, when we said it's still around, but the brand stands for itself. So you know, if if you enjoyed Hockey Central at noon, but you don't enjoy it now, then you know it's the same people. It's myself, Doug McLean, who have created this environment on Hockey Central at noon. And although it's not called Hockey Central at noon, it's it's real kipper at noon. You're still going to be able to find the same people, maybe a different title or a different brand, but in many ways, it's still the old pair of shoes. That's so what I was about I to hope, say. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope, I hope, you know, ultimately the, the, the parish, if, if you're comfortable with the brand, then you should follow it, you know, wherever it is. Well, I think it's uh, what I was about to say. I mean, same thing with hockey night in Canada, you know, a lot of people didn't sorry, like when they I'm went to George, right? You. What's that? Oh, sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so, you know, people were comfortable with those shoes of Ron McLean, the comfy shoes. They didn't want the new shoes. They didn't want to change. And it didn't matter if you were young or old. You were used to storytelling from 
Ron McLean. And now, same thing with Hockey Central at noon, with you guys on there. It was that old pair of shoes. It was the familiarity. But we also watched that show grow from, like I said before we jumped on, from the triangle desk. We're watching out the gray window, you know, when it's a gloomy day. You guys talking about people walking by and the weather and all that stuff to where it evolved to, you know, where it got to, where it was now, you know, just before you guys all left, you know. So now people should tune in to Real Kipper at noon and and choose that avenue and that comfy pair of shoes. I agree. I listen. I like it. Um, you know, I haven't really listened to much Hockey Central at noon since you guys left, and that's maybe a fault of mine. I didn't give it a chance, but I like the way it was done, and maybe I'm just a person that's like the way things are and can't really accept change, but might have to. But right now, I don't have to. I have other options and things that I can go to that keep it kind of familiar. So I hope you guys keep doing what you're doing. We enjoy it. A lot of people do. Um, again, something I have to bug the wife with and listen to later on, but you know what? I still get yeah. to listen to it. So, you well, know, I always volunteer to do the dishes or housework kind of things because it gives me the opportunity to put it on the, uh, the old Google and just listen to it yeah. throughout the house. So, but well, I mean, listen, J- J- James, there's two points to everything for sure. Yep. And you know, like, you know, you're, you're a Leaf fan. Um, and you know, there's two schools of thought. Do I cheer for just the team and the logo or do I cheer for people and ultimately is it the people that make the logo so you know it it, it's not a it's not simple it's not you know there's there's a gray uh to involved to everything and you know if you love the people there's a chance that you're going to love the brand or the crest on the jersey so yeah you're ultimately it becomes about relationships and and personalities and character that you see in those personalities and then the chemistry. So that's one thing I could always be proud of with uh, Doug McLean. And I don't agree with a lot of things he says and he (laughs) takes a ownership, um, always the ownership, always the, uh, uh, you know, the, the manager management side of that kind of pisses me off every once in a while, but for whatever reason it, it works with us. And he challenges me, and he's not a yes man. And, you know, I don't want to hear three guys on the same desk go, I agree, I agree, and I agree. I want to hear someone say, I disagree, and here's why. Yeah. And then make people think about it. So that's that's the one thing that we were able to do at Hockey Central at noon, is ha- have those conversations, have the personality, have the ability to laugh at ourselves, get dressed up, wear a kiss costume at Halloween. <laughs> don't take ourselves too seriously and and have some fun so we were able to do that i was able to born uh, you know uh, bring that to life again with real kipper at noon uh we're on linemovement.com they've been really good to me in terms of giving me the freedom to to create uh, an environment much like hockey central at noon and uh, really fortunate to, to be part of a company that's uh, you know it's it's an online gaming company that uh wanted content we know where that's heading in this world with gary bettman and his deals for mgm it just seemed like a good opportunity for me james to go down that path no it's a great opportunity so like i said it's a great rabbit hole to sit and listen to you guys and be able to still have that familiar feel so nope that'll keep rocking and i can't wait and you just touched on uh, something i do want to ask you about obviously uh this show is predominantly about the Maple Leafs when they're rocking and rolling, but we get to have great people on like yourself and tell some stories. But I want to ask you outright, 
The Toronto Maple Leafs, obviously, the past few years, the young core hasn't got it done. They brought in different veterans like Marlowe, now Tavares. Now you have Thornton and Simmons and Bogosian. They brought in different guys, you know, even Hainsy you could put in that mix, to try to help this young core you know, not only get over the hump, but maybe make a run of it. But they haven't been able to, and I'm wondering... With the moves they made this offseason, everybody's got their jokes. You know, oh, they're not going to be able to get up and down the ice. Oh, it's a retirement club coming to the Leafs. Everybody just getting a paycheck and checking out. I'm wondering for you, do you see these guys being the ones to help the Austin Matthews, Mitch Marners, Willie Nylanders get over that hump and get to that next level? Or is it going to be the same thing with this young core that they're just not able to do it together? Well, it all depends on... You know, how big your hump is, is is it a hump or is it a mountain or is it, you know... If it's Boston, uh, it's a mountain. So, um, I do believe that they're a very good hockey team in terms of uh, being able to compete on a nightly basis, score goals, uh, win hockey games. Is it going to be enough to... Is your hump winning around? Is it getting to uh, a conference final? Is it uh, a Stanley Cup final, or is it winning the Stanley Cup? Their biggest issue is the imbalance um, from goaltending to defense to forward. And we know where all the money is, and we know where they've lacked at times, and that's between Frederick Anderson and and their top six forwards. Uh, but, you know, Tampa Bay was a very good hockey club. They... They, uh, they gave up a lot of their future for the present, and that usually is what happens when you got to compete. Uh, when you have a team competing for many years that can't get over the hump, and then Julian Brisebois, uh spent a fortune on guys like uh, Blake Coleman and, and Barkley Goudreau. And to me, those guys were the, the difference makers in, in taking them over because they seemed to be very well set with one of the best defensemen in the world and Victor Hedman um, and some good support group, you know, um, around him on that blue line. So that was never the issue. The issue for them was just those, those final two pieces, I think, you know, to balance out a, a very good hockey club. The Leafs are missing still on the blue line. That's been well documented. Um, we'll see where, you know, a, a few add-ons would be, but I, I think they're good enough to compete, no question, for, for another playoff position. And I think they have enough goal scoring to, to win a round or two. I just I just don't believe that they're, they're ready yet in the next year to win a Stanley Cup. But I think there is value in Joe Thornton uh, coming in for a guy like, not so much Austin Matthews or even Mitch Marner, but for a guy like John Tavares, to be honest with you, I think I think Joe's got to get him to show a little bit more personality, you know, outside of, you know, a point a game. He's a great point producer and he gets his cookies, but they're going to need a little bit more out of John Tavares. And maybe Joe Thornton can help, you know, John bring out a few more elements uh, on and off the ice for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I mean, personality-wise for John Tavares, I've always found him a little rigid, um, you know, kind of stiff. You mean, maybe in the room or whatever, he's got the jokes and the fun, but in the public eye, at least from what I've seen, it's he's pretty stiff. 
Um, you know, you want him to, like, you look at Joe Thornton, you look at the things he said. We all go back to the Thomas Hurdle thing, you know, if he scores the four goals and et cetera, you know what he said there. But, I mean, you know, it, he has fun with the game. And I think that's something that may have been missing in Toronto for a little while. And, you know, those contract disputes and all those different things loom over a team. It doesn't matter if it's resolved. Those things still hamper it. I mean, John Tavares' big coming Toronto season was all hindered by, you know, a contract dispute with William Nylander. So, I mean, there's always seems to be a little cloud. And last year was the Babcock debacle and starting the season off not starting Spezza with all his friends and family in the stands and starting that off on a sour note. You know, this year, for whatever reason, it feels like there's no cloud for once. They have their coach. The players are happy with it. They have their GM. There's no Lou Lamorello or Mark Hunter. It's all Dubas. Um, you know, you have your players. They're set with their contracts. Everybody's in. So this has to be the season, I think, where they put something together. And the the final piece for me is I'm wondering if Freddie Anderson's that guy between the pipes. You talk about them maybe being a year or two out from, you know, making that push. Well, he's got a year left. Is he the guy that you keep around, Nick? Or do you think they go look for somebody new? Well, in a pandemic where the... Uh... The salary cap's artificially set at, uh, what, 81 and a half or 81 and a half. I don't know how you keep them. And to be quite honest with you, uh, you know, even if he was to make the playoffs and lose in the first round, I think he's going to end up making $6 million a year on on a new contract as a free agent. So, you know, I, I don't know how you keep them. I don't know how you you look at this year and say, win or lose, this this is going to be Freddie's last year. I think their goaltending scenario with, you know, the smaller pieces that they brought in and getting uh, Campbell, you know, prepped is, is the next phase for the goaltending out of the Toronto Maple Leafs. They just flat out can't afford them. We're going to see how they can afford Morgan Riley. Yeah. So that's that's the challenge here, but clearly they could not get any value of substance in the trade market. So that's why Freddie Anderson's still a Toronto Maple Leaf. It's not like they woke up one day and said, "Hey, what are we doing? We got a great goalie. Let's keep him." They just couldn't move him for what they deemed was you know good value. So I I think they're better off keeping him, trying to win a Stanley Cup with him, uh, or at least get as far as they can with him. You know, for the time being, I don't know where it takes you right to the trade deadline. You know, it depends on how good, you know, other people around you like Campbell or, you know, even Hutchinson coming back, you know, as a depth move. But it's the the challenge is there. There's no question, as, as you had talked earlier about the distractions, you know, it seemed like. The moment they signed Tavares, the question was how you, you know, for Kyle Dubas, how are you going to get everybody else signed? And that that was like a black cloud over that organization for a year, year and a half. Yep. And, you know, don't think that just because they're all signed that it's clear sailing. You know, there's still a lot of Leaf fans out there saying, you know, whether you're Tavares or Matthews or Nylander or Marner, you guys... You guys haven't won a thing. You haven't even won a, a first round. Yep. You guys, there's, there's so much pressure on those guys now to perform, you know, on a daily basis or else you know they're going to get, they're going to hear it. And with social media the way it is and all talk radios and the podcasts all over the place, 
you know they're feeling the pressure to deliver when when you're amongst the top paid players in the game today and you've never got out of the first round yeah that pressure is a is huge i had jamie mccowan on over the summer and he talked about the biggest thing he said the biggest thing is not winning as a toronto maple leafs it's trying to win over the fans on a daily basis because if you had those bad games or you have a little streak where things are going wrong it's the media and the fans and everybody all over you and he said now it's ratcheted like you just said to the new level with social media and everybody else having a platform to be able to talk about it and put it out there and you know they may not listen but friends and family do or whoever and it gets passed along the grapevine and they hear about it and they don't like it and you know it it, it sucks but at the same time like you just said they're the highest paid players in the game because they produce you don't get that big ticket unless you're producing so they have to produce not only in the regular season but I think in the postseason and that's something we've seen them not do on a consistent basis and not help win their team over you look at Tampa like you said you know Blake Coleman and Barclay Goodrow were the extra pieces but guys like Kucherov and even when Stamkos played his one game scored a goal you know all the big names did what they had to do and stepped up at that time so I think those big guys for the Leafs got to learn to step up at the right time and you know, hopefully, hopefully with these guys in the lineup like Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons, they learn how to do that and cross that line, you know, draw the line in the sand and then go over it, and he drags them through it. But we will see. The The question I want to ask, you touched on, we touched on it a little bit with the dark cloud. How dragging was the Nylander negotiations on air and behind the scenes for you guys? Because that had to be a topic that just you didn't want to talk about anymore. <laughs> you know, it's... It's a double-edged sword, James, to be honest with you, in terms of, um, you know, what attracts attention and what people want to hear. And it's almost like, uh, you know, that that uh, that car crash on the highway where, you know, you know about it and you still want to slow down and take a peek, right? Yeah. And that's, that's what it's like, you know, with certain topics especially here in Toronto with the all talk radio, you know, the fan 590 TSN, you know, big all 24 hour sports stations in, in Toronto that, you know, win or lose, the Leafs are going to be talked about. And when they lose or the fans are miserable, often ratings went up to be honest with you. So, you know, as long as the topic's out there and as long as, you know, there's a thirst for it, then it kind of plays into your 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 job requirement. And, you know, the key for me, and, and, and I hope many that broadcast, is just don't repeat everything that's already been said. Find a new angle. Find a piece of information that can add to the story, that can extend it. So you feel like you're you're getting something new and fresh every time. It's not easy, but you got to work at it, and you got to have your ear, you know, uh, right there on what the talk is behind the scenes, the agents, the teams, a scout, a secretary, whatever the case is. You got to find out something that advances the story, and it did happen with the Nylander, although it dragged on for a lot. You know, there were certain elements to it. Will he or won't he sign? You're coming up to the deadline. What are you hearing? 
He'll never sign. They should let him stay at home. I bet you they'll make him stay at home. And, you know, your job's to read between uh, uh, the lines and, and find information that no one else has. And for the most part, I, I tried to do that for 21 years. No, you, you've done a great job over your career, and obviously with the Nylander as well. Um, the one question I want to ask you before I let you go today, Nick, and I, I thank you very much for the time today. I know you're busy with everything going on. The NHL is looking to come back on January 1st, um, you know, looking at a 60-game schedule. Saw a tweet just before we jumped on here. Um, wondering for you, have you heard anything? And what is Nick Kiprios's guess of when the uh, the NHL kicks off? I mean, with the coronavirus right now, the vaccine's a good thing, but uh, you still got to get there first. So wondering when you think this season kicks off. Well, uh, you know, with... With the NBA announcing uh, their schedule just before Christmas, uh, I think it's putting a ton of pressure on the NHL and the Players Association. You know, uh, before you know, you start reading sixty games, fifty games, forty-five games. You got to understand what's going on behind the scenes right now, and it's just a once again, it's a, a fight over money. You know, whatever the players and the uh, uh, the owners agreed upon in terms of what the uh, the business environment would look like. Uh, you know, prior to the bubble, they signed a, an extension, but really it's not worth the paper it's written on. And right now they're going through a renegotiation of escrow and how much money they're going to see upon their dollar. And it's all new. It's all new because Gary Bettman's got a... a He's got a handful of owners that are saying, don't play. I'll lose less money not playing than playing. And then you got another group of owners saying, uh, it doesn't matter. We got to keep the product going. And, you know, despite not being able to get people in the stands in January, we got to get another season going. So, uh, this is going to come down to another negotiation in terms of what the players can live with in terms of their salary. Uh, do they get 50 cents on the dollar? Do they get 45 cents on the dollar? The players are going to bleed once again in this. There's no question. The, the only, it, the only, uh, the only question is James, how badly, how badly, uh, do they want to go back to work and are they better taking 20 cents on the dollar than nothing at all? So until they figure out again how much they're going to pay the the, the players, uh, I don't even think we can talk about how many games in a season. Well, hopefully it all gets resolved. Obviously, all that stuff is still going to be front of mind for everybody. But everybody wants the product back on the ice. We want some more normalcy happening. You know, we talked about the vaccine before we jumped on. We want life to get back to normal. So to see some sort of hockey will be great. Can't wait to see Seattle come in, do the expansion draft. There's lots of things to yeah. look forward to. So I it can't. does. It does, James. You know, and, and you know, they're also factoring in that. Uh, you know, like we said, the, uh, uh, the the rate of efficiency on on vaccines now are over ninety percent. Uh, so what does that mean? Does that mean we start the season with no fans, and within four or six weeks we can get five thousand fans in, eight thousand? You know the. The goal is to get every seat filled again, bring it back. But, uh, you know, a lot of question marks still. And and we are racing against the clock here because we're closing in on November. 
And for players to now come back and play at any point in January, they got to get back to their cities. They got to be looking at training camps in the next week, 10 days, two weeks. Yeah, I mean, everybody needs to also, if you're coming to Canada, the two-week quarantine period as well. So, I mean, even though you get here, you still need those two weeks as well. So, you don't want to be behind. And there's also talk of the other teams who didn't make the play-in getting extra time to get prepared and up to speed as well. So, you need to factor all that in before anything. And I'm excited about one thing, though. I'll say this. If it's the all-Canadian division for this season, I'm all for it. Can't wait to see a lot of Toronto-Montreal, Toronto-Ottawa, Battle of Alberta. Bring it on. Yeah, well, the one thing I did here uh, behind the scenes, too, is, um, you know, it's going to be difficult even to have an all-Canadian if the borders shut down because a lot of the farm teams are in the U.S. And if you can't bring players over, you know, how are you going to really compete, you know, and, and where's the competitive advantage for the Toronto Maple Leafs that have, you know, their, you know, their kids, you know, in the American Hockey League right there, so... I don't know how this is going to play out, you know, in terms of ultimately what it's going to look like. But, you know, smarter people than me and you right now, uh, I hope, are, are, are talking about it and resolving this, you know, just as soon as they can. Oh, I'm sure we'll get some sort of product back on the ice soon. But, Nick, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I want to encourage everyone to make sure to check out Real Kipper at noon. Be sure to pick up the book Undrafted for someone who's a hockey fan for Christmas if not for yourself. Nick, uh, let everybody else know where they can find you too. James, thank you very much. Yeah, Real Kipper uh, at Noon is a YouTube channel. Uh, it runs daily once the season starts. But in the meantime, please please go and subscribe because we got some great interviews. Uh, we've done Mark Messier. we got Mike Richter coming on, the great goaltender of the New York Rangers. Of my year, we won the Cup. Uh, Bob McKenzie as well is slated to come on next week and uh, we'll keep that going as well so uh, linemovement.com it's the real kipper at noon show that you can pick up Uh, please give it a try well Nick thank you very much sir I hope everyone stays safe for you and yours and like we said out the hop look forward to some little Budico in the year to come thank you James really appreciate your time